Welcome to Manifesting with Meg, Conversations with Extraordinary People. This is a podcast that is inspirational based upon my book, The Magical Guide to Bliss, that takes the listeners through the year with empowering conversations. Starting from January and Carpe Diem sees the day to December, awe-inspiring magic and miracles. Time to sit back and relax as these extraordinary people, my guests, share their wisdom so that you too can elevate your life. It's time to discover more bliss, get intentional, and start to transform your dreams into reality. It's time to come alive because the world needs more people who wake up and come alive to the possibilities for their own life. Enjoy. Welcome to Manifesting with Meg, Conversations with Extraordinary People. Today, our special guest is Anna Gloria Rivas Vasquez, and this is episode number 92. And I can tell you, this is a dream big baby episode. Louis Be Free is on with us tonight. Love him. I can't wait to introduce you, Louis, to Anna Gloria. She's amazing. And I adore you as well as you know. Um, you are all here to help transform your dreams into reality this month of April. And this is a show about transformation, dreams, inspiration, true happiness, and discovering your bliss. Remember, you are just a conversation away from extraordinary every time you are around extraordinary. So time to wake up to a universe packed with possibility. Welcome, Anna Gloria, to the show tonight. I'm so excited to have you here and introduce you to everyone. How are you tonight? I'm doing very well, and I am super excited to be with you tonight, Meg. It's always fun. Well, it definitely is. I would like to tell everyone that Anna Gloria was on one of my first Magical Meg shows, so back in the day when we did it in person, and I was just so excited when she agreed to j jump on in April because... This, like I said, is my transforming dreams into reality. And a lot of my dreams couldn't be possible without her help. So you'll see why in a moment. But before we go on, as you all know, this is a show based on my book, The Magical Guide to Bliss. It is 366 insights of the day. And reality hits even the magical in that book when you use it as a guide. And as we all get intentional with these shows, I ask Anna Glory to get set her intention, pick a number between three and 397. We all know the drill and away we go. Let me introduce all of you to this beautiful, amazing woman. And we have Anna Sofia Gomez Rivas Vasquez online as well. And she's saying hello. So even better. An attorney, we got another attorney, everybody, and former journalist. Anna Gloria has been working in the field of philanthropy for more than 25 years. She currently serves as the director of the Hispanic Development Unit at Catholic Relief Services, the international aid and development agency that works in more than 100 countries. A nationally recognized expert on Hispanic giving, Anna Gloria is the co-founder of the Key Biscayne Community Foundation. As you can all tell from the get-go, she is not an underachiever in any stretch of the imagination. She was born in Miami of Cuban Venezuelan parents. She's a frequent speaker on Hispanic philanthropy, and she based she based on her I'm sorry, based on her research and interviews with Hispanic donors, she actually authored a chapter on the giving traditions of Latinos included in a book titled Nuevo Senderos: Reflections on Hispanics and Philanthropy. In November 2021, her article Envisioning New Philanthropy Is There a Latino Donor was published in an anthology about Hispanics. If we want to win a Latino vision for a new American democracy. And that is the book that she has sitting behind her, that beautiful cover. Prior to her work at Catholic Relief Services, Anna Gloria served as Vice President and Chief Philanthropy Officer of Hispanics in Philanthropy, a San Francisco-based international network of funders and Vice President of Development and External Relations at St. Thomas University. She also held positions as Associate Head for Advancement at Carrollton School of the Sacred Heart and Director of Development at Dade Community Foundation, now the Miami Foundation, which is huge. Anna Gloria has worked in partnership with large foundations and worked in nonprofits across the United States as well as Latin America. Prior to beginning her career in philanthropy, 
she was a lawyer. <laughs> Not if you would think that she like went from one to one, but yes, yeah, she was no small task, a lawyer, 1992, practicing labor and employment law with a large international firm. And then she worked as a reporter for the Daily Journal in Caracas, Venezuela, and for the Miami Herald. We're going to go back into, she's got a plethora of accolades with regard to her degrees. And as my husband would say, she also has more degrees than a thermometer as well. You know, and her honors literally are off the charts. I do want to say more than anything, she is a woman who gives back. And she was the one founder of Smart Women and Spare Change, a women's giving circle. And she's volunteered throughout her life and her outfit career. She's set an example for her children to be amazing in all that you do, especially of service. I love her family. I love her. I've known her for many years, and I'm so excited to introduce her to her. But more than anything, Anna Gloria is just a heart-led, amazing, beautiful woman who comes to everything that she does full throttle, which means that it's perfect for her intention tonight, but we'll get into that later. Anna Gloria, did I miss anything? I know that there's so much more. I mean, you graduated from Georgetown, a good Jebby University, went to Miami Law and honors and all of the like, but the reality is that's all of what you've done. The who you are goes beyond, you know, wonderful. So how you doing tonight, my friend? <laughs> well, Meg, you are very kind and incredibly generous. So I appreciate all that. Um, it's just, you know, wonderful to be with a good friend and having some time to uh, to chat about several things. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I love about tonight is because it goes along the theme of transforming dreams into miracles. Our theme tonight is go dream big, baby. And there's a quote that I love. It's by Edgar Casey. Edgar Casey. He's an American mystic. And dreams are today's answers to tomorrow's questions. And just thinking about that, saying that out loud, think about it. Dreams are the answers to tomorrow's questions. If you're ready to transform your life, and as we all are, sometimes more so than others, especially if we're not in a really great place, we want transformation yesterday, you know, and but the reality is we're all looking to do what we came here to do, that specific calling that pulls us on and gets us going. We need to start to dream and really visualize the clear results that will help us see through those things that we really, really get to do and want to do. So we plant them in our subconscious before you go to sleep, and then you wake up and you get your inspo for the day, taking those steps to make those dreams a reality. So when you're on the right path, there'll be signs along the way. I always say Anna Gloria was a God wink on my path for sure. We have to pay attention to those questions, and tomorrow's questions will be more than defined. When you dream big, you will inspire others to do the same. So Anna Gloria, what are your thoughts on this tonight? And here we go. Well, Meg, where should we begin? Is it time for an intention or? Well, you know, I'd like to know your thoughts on the dreams and and and, and how you go about your own life and your own life dreaming big. And is there a pattern of practice? Because I know that you're super accomplished. You've gone, you've done, even, even talking about, you know, your children and, and how you, how you basically intended to have your kids. I mean, even that in and of itself is a dream come true. So, you know, I know that it permeates your professional as well as your personal life. You know, I think it's a matter of, um, I once had a boss who said to me, you can't wake up every day and kind of say, okay, you know, am I on the right path? Am I doing what I need to do? You kind of have to set an intention, set a path, follow it, and then check in with yourself every so often. I think that otherwise, if you're every day, you know, trying to figure out whether you're doing it right or whether this is the path, I think that can sometimes um, drive you crazy. And uh, so I've always thought about that. You know, you kind of set some time, you figure I'm going to focus on this for X amount of time. Let me see how it goes. Um, but I do believe in reflection and in assessment. It's just, um, it's so important, you know, to check in with yourself, maybe to check in with a couple of people who are supportive and who can help you figure out if you're on the path that you want to be on. Um, and, and I think that's the key. It has to be a path that works for you. It doesn't need to work for anybody else. So were you a lawyer before you were a journalist? No, I was a journalist first. And then I had always contemplated, I mean, for me, the two and, you know, gosh, going back um, to high school, it was really between, you know, do I become a writer? Do I become an attorney and, you know, go into government or something like that? 
And ultimately I decided to go to Georgetown um, to the School of Foreign Service thinking I would do something in international relations or government. And then my first professional job was being a journalist. So go figure. <laughs> did you work for um, the Miami Herald out the, out the gate or did you also, or was that when, go ahead. No, I actually worked first um, in Venezuela, in Caracas, Venezuela. I worked for an English language daily um, and that was terrific. And then I, um, after that, I worked at, at the Miami Herald. So let me, so seeing through the eyes of a journalist, you know, when you're going out to get and capture stories, because, you know, ultimately, you know, I'm a big believer that we're all storytellers and everything that we do. It's just how you tell your story. You know, some people, you know, have a different approach. I wondered what is your approach when you first took on that that role and, and jumped into that whole world of, you know, reporting, which is probably so different today than it was back then, I'm sure. Yes, yes, it has definitely really changed. Um, but I'm a naturally very curious person. And so I just enjoy talking to people, obviously, you and I could talk forever. I um, but I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy um, hearing their story. Because everyone has a very you know, unique story, certainly. Um, and I think I haven't found a story that I didn't think was interesting. Like so, um, you know, to me, it was, I remember telling somebody, wow, it is so neat that I get to spend my time talking on the phone, driving around and writing. I mean, you know, to me, it seemed, um, you know, it was really neat. I And I think that ever since I was, um, gosh, I mean, I would say a little girl, <laughs> I always thought of myself as a writer. So yeah. I think I was 11 when I decided that. So, um, you know, being a reporter and getting to tell stories uh, was a lot of fun. And, you know, interestingly enough, you've gone from telling stories to an attorney, you know, I would I would venture to say maybe finding the truth of the stories, right? Uh, you know, whether whether they're as bogus as others would like us to believe or, you know, coloring, embellishing or whatever the above, right? You know, was it a seamless transition from one to the other as far as changing your careers? Because you had already done it for quite some time before you went to law school. I had already done it. and But I think I always thought at some point that I would go to law school. And so um, being a reporter was really um, great experience, actually, um, for law school, because first of all, I was used to writing quickly and on the spot. And that certainly, you know, helped. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing was that as a reporter, you look for details and you remember details. Yeah. And so that was also helpful in law school. But the other piece was that I had a lot of context, you know, because I think, um, you know, I, I understood things that I wouldn't have understood had I gone straight from undergrad to law school, you know, something like zoning. I never, you know, if I had heard about zoning for the first time in law school, I don't think I would have understood it. So it was nice to have some real world, world experience. Yeah. And then, you know, to be able to put some of these things that, um, you know, that I knew about then, you know, once I was, you know, reading cases and what, you know, it just helped to make more sense of it. I have a friend who says that, you know, for her law school was like walking into a conversation that had already started. Yeah. And that was, you know, tough. To, and, and there is something about law school um, that's like that. that. That's, right? Walking you know, you into walk a conversation. In. That, that's, that, that's actually true. A conversation right? It has. That's absolutely true. I never thought of it that way. But that, that is yeah. the point. For and so you're trying to figure out, you know, they don't give you, um, I'm the kind of person that I like to understand the concept and then figure out, I was telling somebody the other day, you know, I'd like to understand my place in the space. Ah, I like that. <laughs> and so, um, but with law school, you just walk in and you're like, whoa, this has been going on. And did I get here late? Because, yeah. you know, it's, uh, the train's already going and I'm trying to catch up. So having the real world experience was actually incredibly helpful. Um, and I know that for some people going straight through, whether it's, you know, college and graduate school or college and law school, you know, whatever that happens to be, that might be, um, you know, the best thing for them. But for me, it was really um, very helpful to have some work experience. And then finally, well, I'm not saying finally, because you you jumped from that to philanthropy, to that kind of work of service. And, you know, that was was that an easy transition as well when you went from one to the other as far as you know i didn't really understand um the whole i didn't realize that there was this whole world to organized philanthropy 
you know, I grew up, um, well, in fact, it's, I thought that I had grown up in a place called El Exilio because my parents came from Cuba about six months before I was born. And I would always hear my grandmother say, you know, hearing El Exilio things are like this and hearing El Exilio things are like that. And I thought, oh, that's, you know, the name of my town. That's where I live. And it took me a while before I figured out, no, you live in a city that's called Miami and El Exilio or the exile is the wow. state of your existence. Wow. Is that so, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I was like, oh, you know, but um, it's interesting because when you grow up, you know, and the backdrop to my childhood was, you know, the Cuban exile community, uh, people are always helping each other. Yeah. Um, you know, some people came with money, some people came with know-how, some people, you know, didn't come with either of those things. Um, but I just grew up um, in a community where people were always helping each other. Yeah. And so when I had this opportunity to go into the field of philanthropy and to discover that it was this whole world unto itself, I thought it was really, uh, you know, I just found it incredibly interesting. And then I ended up with this focus on Hispanic philanthropy, which which I really, I mean, I, I definitely enjoy. But one of the things, um, you know, that made it very meaningful for me was that I would hear people say Hispanics don't give. And I knew based on my experience yeah. that that wasn't true. And so then, you know, through research and experience and many, many conversations, I realized that Hispanics do give and quite generously, but not always in ways that fit neatly within U.S. models of philanthropy. Understood. And that's how I finally, you know, reconciled my experience with what I was hearing. And so it's just been, you know, for me, you know, very meaningful to be part of that conversation and to shine a light on the many examples um, of Hispanics giving. But you know how interesting it is that now you, you have this whole career in journalism, law, philanthropy. Now, finally, your 11-year-old childhood dream, dream big baby, has come true. You got to write a chapter in a book. And the book is perfect for what you're talking about. If we, if we want to win, and then go ahead, tell me the rest of the title as well, because I think it's incredibly telling how we plant seeds on our journey and certain things grow from that. So go ahead. Tell me the name of your chapter again. Um, well, my chapter is about, you know, it, is there a Latino donor? And I think it really, um, you know, starts off from a place of, you know, after this last election, I think a lot of people were saying, there's no Latino voter. Yeah. And, you know, for anybody who's Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, however one identifies, um, of course, there is no Latino voter. A 75-year-old Cuban-American in Miami is not voting the same as a 32-year-old Mexican-American in California or somebody in Arizona or, yeah. you know, but but it, it this issue got a lot of attention. Yeah. And so then, you know, we started having conversations, but is there a Latino donor? Um, and the consensus based on people with whom I spoke is that, yes, there is. I mean, there are many things, you know, the Latino community is certainly not monolithic. And um, we hail from a number of different countries. Our experience in this country is very different. Our levels of education, you know, all kinds of things. But there are certain cultural um, commonalities yeah. that inform, you know, how we give and why we give. And, you know, it's interesting that those commonalities certainly do, I think, emanate from the whole concept that family and who yes. you consider to be your family. And I, I want to go, I want to take a step back because, you know, it's funny, your story is so much more than what meets the eye. And, and the only reason I know this is because I know who you are. And one of the most amazing things that I get to experience because of the show, I like to ask the you to tell us what your, where your inspirations lie, what keeps you going in the midst of, you know, your writing or your, you know, when you were a journalist or keep you like Catholic relief services right now, I can't even imagine what you're doing, what you were start to do. I know that it has to pretty much contemplate, you know, all of the need based, you know, groups in the world. But I think it's really important to the know the who you are to understand the why you do what you do. And I'm going to start with this because I love it. And I think it really is the cornerstone I, for you. God calls us to his presence on earth 
Ah, welcome to the week's work ahead. And, and, you know, tell me about your take on that. Well, and, you know, that comes from, um, I participate in a prayer group um, through a church actually in, in Washington, which is where I went to school. And uh, one of the women, you know, said that, you know, we're called to be, you know, God's presence here on earth. And it was on a Monday and she said, welcome to the week's work ahead. And I thought, wow, so that's daunting. Oh my God, I love it. Well, keep going, please, please. I cut you off. No, so I, I think that for me, you know, my faith is really a North Star. And as I said, you know, I grew up in this exile community and then I was very blessed to be educated by two religious orders, um, the Society of the Sacred Heart, the Religious of the Sacred Heart, um, and then the Jesuits. And for both, you know, this connection to others, um, this caring for others is really central. And so, you know, what I was experiencing as somebody growing up in this exile community, where, as I said, everybody, you know, everybody needed something. And as people came from Cuba, um, you know, we had people staying at our house, you know, we would gather things that somebody might need upon first arriving. And so having that experience and then at school, you know, just, um, you know, being that was emphasized, you know, that was reinforced at school, that we really do have a connection to each other and that we need to care for each other. You know, it, it, it's, it's so interesting because we trivialize things, I think in many ways, because what you just said right there should be the start of everything, is that if you even knew that the guy next to you every day or the woman next to you every day has a connection to you and how you treat them is certainly going to turn around and impact you, how would you go about your day? I love it. So God calls us to his presence on earth. Well, what does that mean to be loving? Welcome to the week ahead. And wow, it's just in and of itself is so profoundly you because I, I do know this about you that you are, like I said, your work is based from a loving place. And, you know, one of the things that is great is that you pour from that cup. The thing is, when it's not full, you know, it's kind of like draining. And I always, I, you know, I certainly, and I'll, if, if you don't mind me saying this, you are a coach as well. And you were my first coach as well. And when I needed to be poured into you were there for me in many ways. And and this definitely follows now, and I'm gonna show this in the stream. I get by with a little help for my friends. Now, if there is anything that speaks volumes in my life of that I will never wanna go without, right? I never wanna know a day without my friends. And tell me a little bit about why you picked this as well for your inspiration. You know, for me, connection with others is so important. And I once gave, um, I gave a talk to a group of women about women's philanthropy. And as I was putting it together, one of the things that occurred to me was when you think of when children are little and moms get together, oh, we're having a play group for the children. Well, you know, the children at that point are parallel playing. They're not playing with each other. The play group is for the moms. Ah. It's for the moms survival. <laughs> and connection because that is just so important and um you know i'm blessed with a you know very wonderful family my immediate my extended family um but gosh those friends you know that family you choose they are so important and i think during the last you know two plus years they have been such a lifeline you know, I mean, whether it's, you know, the friend who texts you just when you need the text or, you know, I have a friend who would um, show up with that because she knew that I love Trader Joe's, but I didn't want to go to Trader Joe's. <laughs> and so every so often she would just show up at my house with a bag of treats from Trader Joe's. Um, so, you know, for me, that friend part and and I always think of, you know, that Beatles song. Right. Yeah. But it's it's that line. And, and I always I mean, I change it because I think it's I get by with a lot of help from my friends. Yeah, no, I love that. And I, I definitely you know, going back to to you as far as your storytelling is concerned. What do you what would you say is a moment in time where your friends out of the blue surprised you? Gosh, that is a great question. Um, well, see, I, you know, again, I mean, food is one of my love languages. <laughs> 
So for me, you know, I have a friend who showed up, you know, one Saturday morning um, and I live in an apartment. So frequently we actually have like a little bag that we lower and people put things in and we bring them back home. <laughs> Do you really? Oh, that's hilarious. I love it. I didn't know you had that. That's, so you basically put the bag outside of your house and you lower it. <laughs> Like, that. like people come by and they're like, Hey, can you lower the bag? I've got something I want to give you, you know, or I'll have something. And so, yeah, I don't know how we came up with that. Yeah, how did you come up with that? I mean, you know, you know I, I'm not sure. We've got this little pulley thing going, um, you know, so, genius. But, you know, a friend of mine, you know, for me, it's just those little things that people do. Um, you know, one Saturday morning, a friend showed up with, a little, um, actually it was like this little bread from the farmer's market. Um, so for me, it's that, um, a friend, actually the Trader Joe's person who always brings me really good treats, brought me coconut key lime pie oh, from okay. Key Cargo. Okay. Um, so <laughs> she or he gets a shout out today. That's a, that's a kind, that's a kind surprise and gesture. And you're, you're, so, you know, th those things, I'm, I'm not a really big cook. So whenever anybody brings over, you know, food, like to me, it's, it's not just the food and that I like it, but it's something, you know, that I don't have to do. So. Oh, I love it. And, you know, I think that, you know, someone who does think of you to make your life easier is definitely, you know, a-okay in my book for sure, you know? So, well, you know, and, and one time I'm thinking about this too. Um, so when my children were little, they went to a parochial school that had mass every Friday. And for some reason, every so often, making people hungry, every so often, one of the children or more than one child would like get very faint. And one of the times it was my daughter and, you know, a teacher, you know, took one of my daughters out. And, and so I took her running to the pediatrician. And when I came out of the, and of course, I was very worried, you know, um, it's interesting what you worry about until you have bigger things to worry about. <laughs> but, <laughs> so I came out and a girlfriend of mine had left. I had. I love orange sunkissed. Okay. I rarely buy it. I, you know, drink it maybe once a year, but she had left a bottle oh. on my windshield. Oh. And so, um, you know, it's those little things that people do that, um, you know, because I think, you know, sometimes the smallest things are things that make you happy and people who know you really well, yeah. they know about those small things that matter to you. You know, it's funny when you're talking about, you know, those are the little problems. Now they're bigger problems that we always like, oh, when is this going to end? But you remember you told me a long time ago when my favorite words after after, after wanderlust, catastrophizing. You told oh, yeah. me that I guess it was a priest that you had worked for. So Anna Gloria stopped catastrophizing on your life. I love it. And you know what it is? It just encompasses everything that I'm dramatically inclined to do, like the whole and then you're like step yeah. back <laughs> step back but i think that what you just said there when someone puts a sun kiss on your or orange sun kiss on your windshield it stops you and you're like oh somebody loves me <laughs> it's like oh. yeah. well and and you know it's funny because i actually it was a priest friend he was a colleague and i got mad at him when he said that you know he said oh just look at yourself in the mirror and say to yourself anna gloria you're catastrophizing <gasps> And I, I was just so mad at him. And of course he was right. And then the other thing was I was, um, you know, going through a tough time. My dad was terminally ill and somebody who worked with me every time we got like a bit of bad news would say, Anna Gloria, just breathe. And I remember looking at her thinking, oh my gosh, like not only do I not want to breathe, but you know, this, this isn't helping. And of course, many years later, I realized how right she is. And I have a colleague who says, breathe, pray, trust, repeat. Oh, I love and, it. you know, if because the first thing you have to do is breathe, right? It just kind of slows you down. And um, I read, I think it was, it might have been Sylvia Borstein. I'm not exactly sure which author, I forget. But she said that, you know, breathing helps you to calm your body. Mm. And when you calm your body, you can calm your mind, and your mind gets clear and you can see options. And then once you have options, you have hope. Mm, I love it. And so it's that whole process of, you know, but the first time that, you know, this one woman was telling me this, every time she'd say, breathe, I just wanted to scream. 
And, um, and so now, you know, I'll say it to my children. And recently, one of my children actually said it back to me. Oh, they did. Ah, the work is done here, right? Your work is yes. done here. Yes. And so um, this particular child told me to close my eyes and take three slow, deep breaths. Did, did she? Oh, that particular child did. <laughs> I, I, I love it. And then Louis saying, yes, people say it's just a little thing, but yet to me it meant the world. And, and, and I love people like Louis and like yourself where – those little things, you know, even saying to someone, you know, just breathe so that you can see, like, you can't see hope, you know, unless you calm yourself enough to like, it's not the end of the world. Like, and I remember, you know, one of the things that I will say when I was going through a really tough time and the anxiety was way overwhelming. And I was like, someone said, you need to learn to breathe again. And I go, isn't that automatic? Do I have to really add that to my list? Like, isn't that like a given? Like, why would I do that? Why would I? But the reality is, is we so don't. We hold our breath so much that we yes. forget that you need to take in air. <laughs> so you can, you know. And, you know, um, I don't know if I told you, Meg, but I take ballet. And um, my ballet teacher is just wonderful. We were doing something one day and, you know, it was just a pose. And, you know, I, I was, and she said, wait a second. She goes, were you breathing? Because you shouldn't be out of breath now. And I looked at her and I said, oh my goodness, you are brilliant. I was not breathing. <laughs> so okay. So everyone, Anna Gloria is a true Renaissance woman. And when I say <laughs> that, you know, she does mention <clears throat> ballet and passing, but she's taking ballet. She took violin with her young children at the same time. It is never never too late to start something that you love and that you want to master or even just dabble in because i think that's one of the most important things that you model to so many others is that you're it's never too late it's never too late and that will take us to this because when you're kind to yourself then you're better willing or more willing to be kind to others. And at any age, certainly, I don't know how old this woman is in the picture, but she's definitely up there. You're laughing because you're actually joyful in your life. And so tell me, kindness is all we need. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, Meg, I don't know whether you remember, but I wrote um, a daily blog on kindness yes, for five did. years. And it started off as a summer project for my children. Um, somebody in class with my children um, said that she was going to do, um, I think it was like a be nice project during the summer. And I thought, oh, well, you know, my children and I can do kind things and we'll do that for the summer. And it was so interesting because it turned out to be a project that lasted five years. Um, <laughs> and it really was, I called it adventures in kindness, but it was really reflections on kindness. Yeah. And a couple of things came out of that. One was that because that. we were always looking for kindness, you know, I had people calling me, hey, you won't believe what happened, or my children, oh, mommy, you know, this is what happened at school, or hey, look over, you know. And so because we were looking for kindness, we found so much of it. And the other piece was that the impact of kindness, it just never failed to truly amaze me, the impact of even the smallest kindness on someone. And, you know, there's a story, you know, that's part of our family history. So, you know, my mom came from Cuba six months before I was born. And by the time, before I turned three, she had three children. She hadn't turned 24 yet. So she had three under three, wasn't quite 24, um, you know, recently arrived from Cuba, trying to figure out, you know, how to make a go of things. And um, we lived in this house that had a washer, but no dryer. And uh, there were a lot of diapers. And that was in the days before Pampers and Huggies, right? So they were cloth diapers. Yeah. And so my mother was always doing, you know, and she really didn't like having to go in the backyard and hang the wash because the grass got long yeah. and it somehow didn't get cut as fast enough as it grew. And um, one morning she opened the door and a path had been mowed for her from the back door to the clothesline. And the next door neighbor had seen, you know, this young mom, you know, every day, you know, going out and, you know, in the morning, the grass kind of gets icky around your ankles when it's wet and, and so he just did this for her. And I have no doubt that this gentleman probably forgot about it the following week or maybe the following month. My mother has remembered for decades. Wow. 
That's amazing. And there are all kinds of little things like that. I mean, you know, my friend who brought me the sun kissed, um, you know, so many things that um, we do for each other. But I think that the reason that kindness is so powerful is in order to do something kind for somebody, you have to see them uh. and you have to see what they might need or what they might like or what might make their life easier in even the smallest sense. And so we're telling somebody you matter. Yeah. Yeah. And so that to me just blows me away how powerful kindness is. I wanted to ask you, and I remember that you did that for five years. You know, I had five years every day. <laughs> and when you stopped, I I noticed because I was always looking for your kind because I signed up for your blog and I was always looking for your kindness hits. Because I think that when you read these kind of things, then the 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 same is true. It comes it attracts more to you. And, and, you know, the reality is I was wondering, you know, if you could tell, like, other than the fact that that was a project you decided to do, what was other than obviously paying attention and being more aware, how have you continued that in your life after you stopped writing about it? You know, I think, as I said, it really makes me um, more intentional about certain things. Yeah. You know, sometimes, um, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, I need to text that person. Should I really, you know, and, you know, time and time again, you know, when when I do make those, you know, there's those teeny efforts, really, you know, but it's just, you know, clearing your mind, you know, long enough to do this other thing that you don't have to do. It always surprises me. You know, I, I recently got a note, a handwritten note from somebody you know, who I had been going through a tough time, I would just send texts every so often, didn't always get an answer, which is fine, by the way. And sometimes I'll say to my friends, please don't feel you need to answer. I just want you to know I'm thinking about you, praying for you. And you know, this this woman wrote to me one of the nicest thank you notes I've ever received. And of course, you know, I've read it several times, but she said, you know, your messages really mattered to me when I was going through a difficult time. Wow, I love that. And so it just, and, and, you know, Meg, I don't always send the cards that I want to send and I have all <laughs> kinds of wonderful intentions. It just don't happen. But I think that, you know, we, we have so many um, easy ways. I mean, I still, you know, love to write, you know, a handwritten note, but I think sometimes when you just send somebody a text, you know, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you. Um, you know, that that matters to people. I, I know it certainly matters to me because, you know, we think of people, but unless we tell them, they don't know. <laughs> well, that's for sure. And I know that one of the, since studying happiness, you know, basically what that's one of the things that actually can boost, proven scientifically to boost your happiness factor is when you are the one who writes the note to someone right. else to tell them how important they are to you. When you're the one who you know, instigates that or brings that to the fore because it changes you. It changes you to the point where yeah. you can actually be effective in a way, in an honest way too, to someone else or for someone else. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, cause I know that you work for Catholic relief services and I know that what they do, I mean, I don't know if you can give like a brief synopsis of what it is that that organization does, because I know, I know what it does, but I just to educate perhaps sure. who's listening as well. Sure. So Catholic Relief Services has been around since 1943, so almost 80 years. We work in more than 100 countries. Um, we're a humanitarian international development organization. Um, many people know us for our disaster relief work. Um, you know, when something happens, whether it's a nat natural disaster or a man-made disaster, you know, we're there. Um, and we've usually already been there because we're working in the poorest countries, as I said, more than 100 countries around the world. Um, we first started working, you know, during World War II, resettling refugees. And what I didn't know was when we were celebrating our 75th anniversary a couple of years ago, we were unearthing, you know, early stories. And we don't resettle refugees in the United States anymore. But one of the things that we discovered was that the last group of refugees we resettled in the United States were the Cubans in the mid, oh, wow. early and mid 1960s. We had an office at the Freedom Tower in Miami. Oh, wow. And my grandmother, one of my earliest memories of my grandmother, who's the original Anna Gloria, by the way, oh, yeah. <laughs> but 
she um, she worked as a social worker. Um, and what she would do is work with the unaccompanied children. 13,000 unaccompanied Cuban children came during the you know very early years in 1960. And um, many of those were resettled by Catholic Relief Services. So I had no idea that I had, you know, my family had crossed paths with the agency I ended up working at. I love that. The synchronicities are awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> no, that's amazing. That's a great... And and now, what kind of projects are you? I know, I know we have. I know as for, in the four right now is obviously Ukraine. Do you work on yes. initiatives with Ukraine as well? Yes. No. Absolutely. Um, we have been doing a lot of work um, to help the Ukrainian refugees, and we do everything from providing immediate assistance, um, you know, food, hygiene kits. Um, psychosocial um, support. Okay. Um, you know, one of the things I have a colleague um, who actually, I think she may be in Poland right now. I'm not sure whether she's in Poland or in Moldova. But one of the things that I've really learned from her is that, you know, same thing with the Syrian refugees, but when people are fleeing these situations, um, you know, they've been traveling, they're exhausted, um, they have to make decisions for their families. And for instance, 90% of the Ukrainian refugees are women and children. So you've got women who have, you know, possibly left their husbands behind. They're in a position where they need to make decisions about their family. They're not sure whom to trust. Um, and decisions that are going to affect their family for years, yeah. you know, where do we end up going? And so, you know, to have an organization, we're part of the Caritas um, Internationalist Network. And so to have an organization that is trusted and that can, you know, help you sort out, you know, not just give you a place to sleep and food and um, but really, you know, help you sort out what's next. Um, that's incredibly important. And so, you know, we do a lot of that. Um, we also do a lot of development work. So whether it's working with farmers um, so that, you know, I didn't realize before I worked with Catholic Relief Services, um, how many of the world's poor are actually farmers, um, but working with them and helping them learn how to use their land better. Um, it gives them and their families a better future. It gives their communities a better future. And at the same time, it environmentally better for the land so you know we talk about creation care right. um, we also work with young people for instance um, in Central America we've been doing a lot of work with at-risk young people and I visited um, you know our programs in El Salvador and it was incredible to see these young people who were you know learning skills um, you know, learning how to, um, you know, really having the tools to earn a living, to stay with their families. You know, many people um, or most people who migrate, you know, really don't want to leave their families behind. So if they have an option um, to stay in their countries, um, you know, to be, you know, to learn how to be good parents, um, you know, there's so many things, um, so many different facets of our work with young people. Um, that I'm, you know, always very encouraged by. That's amazing. And, and that you found yourself there and that there was a link to your family when they first came yeah. over is amazing. Yeah. I just sit there and like, wow. You know, and, and I think that this certainly is a cornerstone to probably the work that most of you do at CRS. And that's Mother Teresa, the, the one. And so let us always meet each other with a smile for the smile is the beginning of love. Tell me why you picked this one. I mean, you know, several reasons. Again, going back to my days with the kindness blog, it it was so interesting to me how and, and you know, you can try it. Right. Just walk around and smile at a stranger. And sometimes, you know, they'll be a little startled before they smile back. Yeah. Sometimes the smile comes easily, but it can really change their day it can change your day yeah. um it really makes such a difference when you just i mean in fact if you're talking on if you when you answer the phone if you're smiling yeah. people can hear it right yeah and mother Teresa was actually my graduation speaker um when i graduated from college oh, wow <laughs> what, a, what an incredible opportunity to hear her and, yes. and and how was that for you 
you know, it was incredibly special. Um, you know, we felt very blessed that she was our graduation speaker. And then um, our CEO of Catholic Relief Services actually did a lot of work with her in India early on in his career with CRS. And so, um, you know, she's very special to the organization with which I work now, but also, you know, the fact that she was my graduation speaker, I think, you know, obviously there's a soft spot in my heart for her. And, you know, she just had you know, so many wonderful, you know, quotes and ideas. And, um, but again, I think about it a lot related, you know, to the kindness work, because, you know, sometimes all we have to do is smile. It doesn't cost us anything. And, you know, interestingly enough, you know, we, there was a time period when they found her, her journals, right, to the Pope, and then how she shared with the world her darkness. And I don't, I don't imagine that was supposed to be with the world. However, it was shown to the world that, you know, in her time of dedication to her work here, she felt a lot of sadness, a lot of depression, anxiety, the all of the above. She's human. She's that's why she's a saint. Because it's right. the saints were the greatest sinners, right? So I was like, but I don't imagine she ever was, to be quite honest with you, but I just find it fascinating how we hold people you know, we look up to them so greatly. But I think one of the most beautiful thing about Mother Teresa was that she lived side by side. It goes back to what you were saying before, that collective, that we are each other's keeper. We really are. We're here to take care of each other. And and I just find, you know, that beautiful that if you can't do anything more than just smile, then that might be the beginning of something quite amazing. And then, of course going back into this hang on a second wait a second i was like oh my god i have a third one anyway um oh my god do you remember the third quote i can't even believe i don't have it i can't even believe i don't have it anyway well let me show your beautiful image of your book on the screen as well and you know was this a dream come true for you you know, for me um, to work, as I said, in this, you know, on this issue, you know, this topic, which has, which has real meaning for me, um, you know, because of my personal history. Um, yeah, anything that I can do to highlight the fact that, you know, Latinos are givers of all kinds of, you know, not just financial capital, but cultural capital, um, intellectual capital. I think that unfortunately, you know, sometimes um, they haven't been portrayed as that. And sometimes people don't understand um, that there are many ways to give. Yeah. And so to be able to work on this for me is absolutely, absolutely a dream come true. And um, yeah, no, I uh, I was very glad to be able, you know, to follow up the research that I had done originally, you know, with this new article. So I, 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 okay, so this is my favorite part about this show. And I think that the reason it is, is because we get to tap into the, like, I mean, we know your resume is incredible you have been involved in legislation like as far as those process you've been at the table with some big decisions you are not more than you know anyone else you know someone who's in this world to make a difference at the same time your voice is heard you have a seat people listen to you so my question for you right now as far as manifesting a magical life that you know where your dreams come true because you know i think people say i can't dream i don't you know how is that possible like my dreams will never come true they go that they go there and i think we all do sometimes we're like nothing's gonna happen for me nothing's ever gonna happen for me you know i i i want to be a author since i was 11 and i write every day but who's gonna read me or who's gonna see me or who this is my favorite part because you've manifested a life time of dreams. And I think what is the secret sauce for you for that? You know, I think that it's, um, it's the secret sauce, but it's also what is hard for me is just to take that next step. And so I think that over time, what I've realized that, you know, works for me is I'm definitely a planner. Yeah. 
So I have to kind of plan things out and, you know, just figure out what is that one step that I can take that will move me forward. And that's something that, you know, um, I've worked on with my coaching clients, you know, because sometimes they want to do things. And, you know, the important thing is figuring out where is the obstacle? You know, for instance, there was a time when I used to go to the gym very early in the morning. And I finally realized that if I got out my door, that was it. That's what I had to focus on because I could get dressed to go to the gym, but I might not go. I mean, how many times do you put on your workout clothes and you just don't go anywhere? But I never walked out the door and came back in. <laughs> you know? And so I thought, all right, what I need to do. And so I try to do that with things is figure out where is that that point that's going to make the difference, you know, the equivalent of walking out the door, you know, what's the point of no return for me? There's that. Um, and then the other piece is, you know, can I break this down so that I can do, you know, take even the smallest step forward. And then the third thing that I would say, and this happens to me with things I don't want to do <laughs> is, well, I, I don't tell myself that I don't want to do them. It's just a big project. I can't get started, you know, whatever. And so I say to myself, you know what, work on it for 30 minutes and working on it for 30 minutes might mean that I just sit and think about it or that I start writing something. And of course, invariably, once you begin, it's okay. So, you know, I would say that for me, it's, it's those three things. I love it. And, and I think that, you know, I, I, I love the visual, you know, once you get out the door, it's not like you're coming back in. You don't get in the car and say, nah, I'm not going to the gym today. Let me go, you know, back inside my house. So, but I realized, cause I, I, that's, I broke it down, you know, in the car. No, obviously I never get out of the car and say, I'm not going, but I realized all I needed to do was walk out the door. Amazing. Getting dressed for me at least was not enough. Yeah. You know, I think, those little, I guess, mind games we play, you know, that, you know, we think are very insignificant, but yet even Mike uh, Spatola is saying, you know, he can relate the need to take the next step is key. And, you know, I think that it's kind of like the story where you're walking across the country, like you said, don't give up because you could almost be there, right? You're walking so far. And if you turn around, you're like, wow, you realize how far you've come. And that in and of itself is like a, kind of like the endorphin hit. You know, I love checking off the list. Oh my God. It's like, oh. it's like, it's like, like crack for me. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm a huge, no, I'm a huge list checker offer. I mean, I just love doing that. And you know, the other thing too, Meg, is that asking for help. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes we think that, that we're either smart enough or should be smart enough to figure it out ourselves. Yeah. And I think the older I get, the more like sometimes even on a writing project, I've called somebody and said, you know what? I can't figure this out. And it's usually an easy fix. It's, you know, people are actually really, for the most part, glad to help. Right. I mean, think if somebody called you and said, hey, I'm struggling with a sentence. Yeah. Can you help me out? Yeah. You'd be thrilled. Yeah. So I think I like that, that, you know getting comfortable enough, you know, to ask for help. You know, it's interesting because I think everyone's so afraid of looking stupid that they don't open their mouth and say, well, you know, and it could have been like, oh my God, I could save you hours. There's like, hours, like, like, so you're stupid if you don't ask for help. Not that I'm saying anyone's stupid, but the reality yeah. is, is that, wow. Listen, I once, I once had a boss who was really responsible for actually this article and so many other things that I've been able to get done in life. And she had, she had approved my hiring an assistant and she comes to town and she said to me, Hey, so, you know, how's the search for an assistant going? And I was like, eh, yeah. and she looks at me and she goes, so you've been too busy to find an assistant. Oh, that's, oh, that's, <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's great. I mean, what, what could I say? Right. But I think that, and I've worked with coaching clients who, for instance, Oh, I just can't, I can't get that email out, that email out. And so I'll say to them, so how long do you think it would take you to draft and send the email? Yeah, five or 10 minutes. How long have you spent thinking about ah, sending that email? That's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. You know, and, and it's just some, something that, and it happens to all of us. Yeah. But I think, you know, getting to know yourself and figuring out, okay, so what, you know, what little 
tactic, what strategy works for me? I love that. And, and you know, one of the, so I think their tools are amazing. Certainly, you know, I, I, I definitely benefited from many. And, so, and, you know, I think that the coolest thing is that when you do collaborate with another person, then that other person will be excited and they'll want to celebrate with you when you get, you know, you actually get out the door, <laughs> you get to the gym or you finish that email. It's like, Oh my God, that's awesome. You know, like someone else who is invested in your success or even someone else who can share that with you. And I think that, you know, those are kind of like the buddy systems. And I think that one of the things, and I love this because I'll, you know, shout out to your sister, my, one of my favorite stories, and it has inadvertently involved you when I wanted to go on El Camino, we needed to get people to join us so we could go as a group. And I had sent you and I really wanted you to come because I kept thinking, oh, it's going to be amazing. I'll be like having Anna Gloria on this journey for 77 miles and she's going to have to listen to me. And I was like, oh my God. And it went to, so she's not kidding when she says the first Anna Gloria is her grandmother, but they all are Anna's in her family. So she has a sister who I used to send inspirational quotes to, or my, my inspirations to, named Anna Victoria. And I happened to send my email to Anna Victoria, not Anna Gloria. Not, and then when I got a response back from Anna Victoria that she wants to come, I was like, how odd is that? How did you get to <laughs> know? She's like, you sent me the email. But I'm telling you, it's because of knowing you, my intention was there. And I imagine in, in, in many of the days I was walking with the other Anna and having those in-depth conversations, but had you there with us the whole way through because these connections that we have open up to other opportunities along the way. And I always, I always want to say, you know, one of my favorite things is that you always would say at the end of your coaching is what's your takeaway, what's your takeaway. And it really does have you stop and, uh, you know, really kind of quantify quality wise, the time that you're spending on things that to you matter so that you are able to take those little bite sized you know, hits and take them away. And I, I certainly, you know, it's so funny because when you asked me, what are we going to talk about today? And I was like, well, I'm going to be getting my takeaways. I don't know what you're going to be doing, but I'm definitely going to rack them up. So that goes back to the beginning of our beautiful uh, evening where I asked you to set your intention. And perhaps maybe this is going to be your takeaway. So what was your intention for this evening? So my intention was go lightly. I love that. And what does that mean to you? Well, I love the story. So you got to tell the story. It's a good story. It's a good story. We're storytellers. You got to tell the story. Well, my first intention was going to be go where the spirit leads you. But there's something about going lightly um, in a way. I mean, I think that we're really called to be people of joy and people of light. And so I think that frequently we get so bogged down, um, you know, and, and we just, we let ourselves get bogged down. And whether we think, oh, I can't make that phone call, I can't take the step, I, you know. And um, so I just love the idea of going lightly. Um, but the other piece is- I love that, you gotta tell everyone. That I, so I have a Starbucks name. Okay, everybody, and, she has a Starbucks name, okay? <laughs> Every, just just take that in. She has a Starbucks name. That is not her name. So go ahead, Anna Glory. <laughs> so I was in a coffee shop um, with a colleague in New York, and her name was much simpler than mine. So when they said, what's your name? And it wasn't a Starbucks, but they said, what's your name? And I used hers. And she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, your name is easier than mine. And she said, don't you have a Starbucks name? And I said, <laughs> oh, I don't. And she said, mine's Trixie. <laughs> I said, oh. I said, well, I guess I need a Starbucks name. Oh, and so I came up with Holly G for Holly Go Lightly, the, um, you know, the main character in Breakfast at Tiffany's. And so it was interesting because when I was thinking about the intention and just kind of going where the spirit leads, um, I liked the idea of going lightly and it connects back to my Starbucks name. So. So Holly Go Lightly, I gotcha. And what was the page you picked in the Magical Guide to Bliss? Let's see. It let me pull this up. 
be bold. I love it. And I usually say, what pieces of that passage speak to you that align with your intention tonight? You know, I love this line. All it takes is a commitment to a new reality. Then that. get ready to see how the universe will provide the connection to make all your dreams come true. Ah, that's amazing. And it kind of goes back to when we started, you know, the whole concept of dreaming big. And if you're finding yourself in a situation where you feel your dreams perhaps are far away, are not near, or maybe you're not even able to articulate new dreams because you might be, I, I was laughing the other day. I, I don't want to insult anyone or say anything that's, but I said, if Jesus could rise from the dead, then I could rise out of the mess I find myself. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, that's pretty outrageously over the top. Like literally, you know, then I could, I could rise from this mess and, you know, and I can bless this mess because sometimes those messes, the chaos is where we find ourselves that, you know, and it's interesting, kind of goes back to what you're talking about, the lightness of being, right? The unbearable lightness of being, yes. you know? Yes. I, I love that book. I love that book. But I think that, you know, for so many of us, um, you know, we could do with a lighter touch. You know, we know those people who come. I have, I have this friend who has this amazing gift. And her gift is that, you know, if you ask for her advice, she'll give it to you. But if you tell her about a situation, it might not be what she would do, or, but she will find something good in it. She will highlight the good. She just pulls it out. And when I think of her, I just think of her as, you know, somebody, you know, just this person with wonderful light. And just an attitude that is, and, you know, I frequently ask her for advice, but she, and so I try to channel that gift. You know, sometimes somebody will tell you something, they'll be like, oh, my, so I just kind of take a step back. I take a breath and I try to channel my friend. I love it. So, and Louis saying, yeah, a commitment to a new reality. And it would not be great if we don't like the reality we find ourselves in. We can definitely shift to that. And that's bold because that just means that you're not going to settle for something that is not really aligned to your passion and purpose. And, and you know, that's beautiful because that's hope. And that's what you were talking about with the breath. When you breathe, your mind goes calm or your mind kind of gets still and then you can start seeing those moments of hope peek in because you can hear where you weren't able to before and what a great takeaway for me today huh where we all can go a little lightly go a little gently so hit us up with one more final inspiration because <laughs> you know i know you gave us so much and i know that I ask so much from you, Anna Gloria, and, and but I'll tell you one thing that is absolutely true is you, like I said before, you come from a, a place of love and you lead with your heart. And I think that effectively impacts many people. And I'll never forget the day when I walked into my office to hand my resignation in and you've always told me before, show up authentically. So I had to wear my golden glitter shoes <laughs> with my leopard jacket. And I never felt so empowered to do the thing that was going to free me to enter a new reality, like you've said. So the inspirations are good, Anna Gloria. You do well and you change many, and like Mother Teresa. And it starts with your beautiful smile. So give us one more hit of a final inspiration this evening. You know, it's it's very simple, but what I would say is just begin. You know, just begin and figure out what is the tiniest step that you can take. And, um, you know, crossing a river can look and feel daunting, mm. but you don't need to cross the river. You have to figure out where is the step, you know, where's the stone that I will step on next. Wow. That you can do. And so I would just say, you know, begin, identify a small step. If you can't identify the small step, wow. ask someone who you know loves you to help you identify uh, the small step. I love that, you know, and that is where you won't be walking alone, certainly. Okay. 
for sure. And there's that wonderful, wonderful quote by Goethe, and it says boldness, right? Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. And it goes back to the answer to your intention tonight. Be bold, commit to a new reality, go lightly. And if you need her, I know you'll be with Catholic Relief Services, but where can we get this wonderful book of yours? And and tell us a little bit. It is, um, the book is actually available on Amazon. Awesome. So, and the other, so it's if we want to win a Latin vision for a new American democracy. And it's an anthology and, and Gloria, uh, Gloria, Anna Gloria, excuse me, wrote a chapter in it. So I would love to guide you guys over there to Amazon to buy it. And also this incredible person wrote a, a did a TEDx. What is the TEDx called? Um, you know, I don't know what they have finally okay. titled it. It was TEDx Key Biscayne. And so I don't know when those talks are going to be up. Um, but we signed all the releases recently. So well, that's very exciting. And so if you want to hear her TEDx and get more of her inspiration, Anna Gloria, A-N-A -A, Gloria, G-L-O-R-I-A, Rivas, R-I-V-A-S dash. And this is where it gets special. Vasquez, it's V-A-Z, <laughs> not S, it's a Z, Q-U-E-Z. And you know, the interesting thing is when we were in the community, we saw some people who were resting in peace next to them who actually had your last name, which was kind of uncanny because it's not the norm for sure. So it's V-A-Z-Q-U-E-Z. -E so go check out her new book. Um, Anna Gloria is also a coach. I don't know if you do that as well as offer that. So please tell us your webpage that they can go to and meet you there. You know, I actually don't have a webpage okay. um, anymore. <laughs> and so how do we find you? How do we find you if we'd like to know more about you and what we, you can do for? Well, people can email me, um, agrvg at bellsouth.net. I still have a Bell South email. Very good. So there you go, everybody. So I want to thank Anna Gloria for this enlightening evening filled with inspiration and certainly lots of takeaways, like we said. Go likely. I love it. Everybody got to get their Starbucks name and report back because that is definitely something that's going to happen. My husband says that he goes to Starbucks and he gives Brad Pitt all the time. So when they ask where Brad Pitt is, <laughs> I was like, all right, there you go. That's amazing. Okay. So I want to say, you know, I am grateful beyond grateful for the connections I've made over time. I will tell everyone this, that when I was at my lowest moment, you did in fact help me through it. And I love to say that every success I have will always have a piece of you along with me and I get to celebrate with you. And that is my truth. I want to tell everyone out there who is listening to remember to be the deliberate creators of your life. Dream big and let's all raise the positive vibrations on this planet. Start with a smile. Take that first step. Get out the door. Get out the door. You got it. Just the door. You know, and, you know, let's love ourselves exactly where we are by going lightly. Because I think that was really beautiful, beautifully said. Breathe if we need to breathe and reach out to others if you need it. It's time to manifest the life of your dreams. I'm wishing you all bliss. Anna Gloria, thank you so much. Also, one more thing. If you haven't gotten my Butterfly Awakens, you'll see Anna Gloria's role in my life in that because she was really, really, really vital as far as the whole pivoting, the getting me out the door because I was in my closet for quite a long time. So <laughs> I appreciate everything that you are, everything that you've done, all the people you impacted. I sure i speak for them as well you are a light in this world i've enjoyed every minute of it and i hate for it to end but tonight it is we will have more conversation in the future i know i love you dearly everybody go have a wonderful evening wishing you plenty of love and bliss thank you and good night everybody thanks good night <laughs>